0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. How's everyone doing this morning? Come on, how's everyone doing this morning? Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I, how many people, I'm just going to ask this, how many people are Patriots fans? Anyone in the house? All right, so no one's sad that they lost Tom Brady and then he went to another team and took him to the championship. No one's bitter. All right, how many people even know who Tom Brady is? All right, is this, does this make Tom Brady the GOAT if he wins this year? And if you don't know what the GOAT, okay, yes. The GOAT means God of all time. I know there's only one God, okay, but Tom Brady comes close. No, I'm just kidding, that's blasphemy. Anyway, um, does anyone care who wins? Like, does anyone, who wants the Chiefs? Is that just because you hate Tom Brady? Okay, and who, who wants the Buccaneers? Okay, why? Just because? Because they look good? All right, never mind. Okay, anyway, I'm excited. If you have not met me before, my name is Trenton, and I have the honor of being youth pastor and worship pastor here. You're wondering why I'm up here again this week. It's because Pastor Kevin's not getting paid enough. No, i Um He kidding. He's like, I'm taking a strike. No, he's out of town on his annual—actually, he does it biannually, but he's on a study break right now— um, He's taking time with Pastor Rhonda to um, not vacation. They, like, they work all week. He's going away to really study and um, get with God and kind of get a vision and a heart for what's ahead. And I know a lot of you know what it's like to live on a depleted... Um, energy source. You know what I'm talking about? When you're like, I just can't go anymore, right? In ministry, sometimes you just don't get the luxury of doing that. You just have to get up and like fake it like you have something. And so I would encourage you to pray for Pastor Kevin this week and really say, God, I want him to encounter you, to have fresh vision from you. Um, And and we're believing for better things. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. With that being said, we're stepping into, actually no, I forgot. Hold on. Speed the light egg challenge. I cannot forget this. How many people know what that is? Just raise your hand. It's been in the video announcements. People, we're only at $800 right now. Eight hundred. Exactly my thoughts. Eight hundred dollars. Okay, so I need you all right now to pull out your mu- wallets and just give me money. No I'm just kidding. I need you guys to give this, and the reason being is Speed the Light is something that is absolutely amazing. It's the opportunity for our youth students to um, engage with um, giving to missionaries and it's teaching them. And our students are getting to participate in order to crack eggs on our heads next next week. Um, they actually have to give money towards this as well, and so your money is helping buy the eggs, and they're, they're the ones getting to smash them. They have to pay to do that, but I really encourage you to give money to this. I really want to be able to bless um, missionaries. A lot of, this provides for a lot of missionaries for vehicles and equipment and things that they walk into a different country, into a different, completely different culture of life, and they don't have, and so we get the opportunity to bless them. So how many people are going to give if not, I'll hunt you down. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, we're stepping into week five of a series called Anchored. I hope that you've enjoyed it so far. This series has been an amazing series. Um, for those of us joining online, I hope you've enjoyed it um, so far as well. But today, I really want to just continue this conversation that we've been having each week. And so if you've been with us, you know that the theme of the series has been that storms are inevitable, but we all need an anchor, right? Storms are inevitable. Whether they're unexpected or not, we all face difficult things in our lives that we have to choose how we're going to respond. And what we recognize and what we've been talking about is, as humans, like we don't just like sit in the middle of a storm and like just like like it. We always reach for something to, to bring security and, and stability, right, and safety. How many people just like nod their head? Yes, that's true. And what we've been reminding us as a community is that Jesus is the ultimate anchor. Jesus is the ultimate anchor. And so, for the first two weeks of the series, we talked about how when a storm comes, how do we respond? So, if you're in the middle of a storm or um, a storm just started to happen, or you're on the tail end of a sp- storm, how do we respond? And we talked about God being in control. We talked about being prisoners of hope, meaning we're bound to hope. We're bound to this idea of Jesus. But a couple weeks ago, we started shifting and started actually talking about now this idea of how do we prepare for the storm? Say, how do I prepare? prepare? Type it on the chat. How do I prepare? How do I prepare for the storm? See, because storms are inevitable, but preparation is optional. Storms are inevitable. Preparation is optional. And what I want you to understand is a couple of weeks ago we talked about the wise and the foolish builder. And if you were in Sunday school, you know this story inside and out. You could get up and tell it this morning. But the crazy thing about the story that Jesus told um, thousands of years ago was the fact that each of these men um, chose where they wanted to build. They each faced the storm and they each got completely different outcomes. And that tells us, in, our, in, in taking that as, as, a, as something to build our life off of, that makes us go, wow, I can build my life in order to withstand storms. And so we started last week talking about specifically different areas of our life of how to build a storm. So if you are here last week, we talked about finances. And today I'm excited, um, and I feel a little bit of pressure because the topic is very broad. And I texted Pastor Kevin. My message was like, does this make sense? He's like, super heavy. I was like, thanks, Dad. No, i was kidding. Um, so if you walk out of here feeling condemned, no, i was just kidding. Um, it it worked. No, I, I really want you to feel challenged. We're talking about technology today. Technology, oh, I already got, was like, oh. <laughs> anyway, technology, I know it's like, like, it's huge, right? Technology by definition has to do with like any, any contraption equipment thing made by science, right? So you're not talking just like, like machines, but you're talking computers, you're talking all these different things that I'm not smart enough to talk about, okay? So what I'm going to talk about today is specifically the idea of social media and device usage. And that's still pretty broad, but today I really want to just, hopefully, I was trying to decide where I want to go with this, but hopefully I, I challenge you to walk away and assess your own life when it comes to technology, Even if I don't give you direct answers, I hope that you walk away and go, I recognize the power of technology can bring life or death, and I want to do something about it. So what I'm going to answer today is why and how we anchor our technology to Jesus. Why and how we anchor our technology to Jesus. And as I was taking notes and and jotting down ideas this week, I started to realize that some of the worst storms in life, some of the most dangerous storms in life, are not actually um, the unexpected storms, but the underestimated storms. I wrote that down. It's on a slide, so write that. Some of the worst, most dangerous storms we face are not the unexpected storms, but the underestimated storms. You're like, what does that mean? Unexpected storms are those storms that catch us off guard. Like last week, financially, right? Like a medical bill pops up, a car accident. Someone in your family dies. Completely catches you off guard. It's detrimental, right? We've all been there. We've all faced that. It's not fun. Underestimated storms are storms that we see the potential of, or we see coming, and we just decide it's not a big deal. We're not going to worry about it. Does anyone, like... Know what I'm talking about? I mean, this week I was like talking about like, I remember in in college in uh, Chemeketa um, in health class, they were like, don't eat bad. And they were like walking down the um, the reasons why, like you gain weight, it's bad, like on your heart long-term, all these different things. Like, has it stopped me from eating bad? No, I underestimated the storm. And like, now I'm trying to fight off these COVID pounds, people. Um, Anyway, and just, I mean, it's first year of marriage and COVID people, like, where do I turn? Like, I just, I had to eat my sorrows. i was just kidding. Allie's an amazing cook too, so that doesn't help either. Anyway, moving on. Underestimated storms. That's a silly example, but today I want to give you kind of a more serious, actually real-life story, and then I want to kind of tell you how technology is similar to this. Um, And I was reminded this week of a story I heard when I was a little kid, a true story, and so I had to go look it up to make sure I was getting the facts right, and I know there's a lot of different um, articles on this man, and most of you already know about him, but I just want to read really quickly this small story. On May 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted, killing 57 people and forever changing American history. How many people remember Mount St. Helens? I wasn't born yet. How many people like love the ash? No one? Oh, some people? It's fine. Anyway, um, although the volcano gave weeks of warning before its eruption through smoke plumes and earthquakes, an 83-year-old man named Harry Truman refused to evacuate the campground he owned for decades just a few miles from Mount St. Helens Summit. How many people know who Harry Truman is? Okay, not the president, but this dude, um, this amazing guy that actually now is kind of like a folk hero because of who he is. Anyway. Um, "'Spirit Lake and in Mount St. Helens, or sorry, one article I found, Truman stated, "'They'll never get me off this mountain. "'Spirit Lake and Mount St. Helens are a part of me. "'They're mine. "'They're as much a part of me as my arms and my legs.'" Truman tried so hard to convince himself that everything would be okay. He speculated there wasn't much left inside Mount St. Helens after the weeks of activity that took place with the volcano. And if the mountain did erupt, he was certain that the pyroclastic flow, and I took geology. So I actually know what that is, but it's like the ash and the lava. I didn't take biology or physics, people. I was too stupid. So I took um, geology instead. Don't judge me, okay? Like I'm talking to some, like Ashley Banker. She's in the room right now, right there. Dude, she's like, I'm taking three chemistry classes. I'm like, dude, I would literally rather like, jump off a cliff. Anyway, um, okay. Sorry, Ashley, that's not how you sound, but I just had to do my best impersonation. All right, so Harry Truman insisted, no, um, the mountain will never hurt me. Despite attempts to get Truman to leave, um, he chose not to. And sadly, regardless of Truman's beliefs, Mount St. Helens finally erupted on May 18th, 1980 at 8.32 a.m. The eruption was heard 200 miles away. How many people heard the eruption by chance? That's kind of cool. That's awesome. I mean, it's not awesome that it blew, but I mean, to experience it. Sorry. Anyway, near Truman's campground, a black plume of hot ash 100 stories tall went charging down the mountain at 350 miles per hour. The intense heat twisted the 250-foot fir trees like scraps of plastic in a campfire. The river valley... Um, The river valley that bore the brunt of the blast was buried under dozens of yards of sulfur-smelling ash and debris. Truman died that morning, and his remains were never found. And this story is extremely sad. Like, I'm not, like, 57 people dying. Like, that's not a fun way to die. I mean, on the tale of what happened with um, the forest fire and hearing some of the devastating stories of that, I'm not trying to make light of this. But what I want to compare it to is I believe Truman's attitude is a similar attitude that many of us take when it comes to technology— See, we recognize the potential of technology and whether it's ignorance or you just are like I'll deal with it when I get to it. How many people like deal with it when I get to it? We ignore the, the extreme danger of what technology is. And I want to just preface today saying I'm not like saying you should like get rid of technology and go like move into a compound with a bunch of nuns or something. I'm not making fun of nuns, but I'm I, I'm not saying that you just like you give up on technology. I'm honestly just wanting to give some, some careful warning to make you consider, because some of you, maybe you're dealing with the effects of pornography or different things in technology that are actually hurting your life, and you recognize this, and you're like, I wish someone t- would have talked about this years ago. So my goal is honestly what Proverbs 3, 13 and 15 through 17 says, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable. Wisdom is more profitable than silver, and it yields better returns than gold. Long life is in wisdom. Um, wisdom's ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peace. That's what wisdom is. So I want to give you some wisdom today. Say, so I'm going to take in some Wisdom. And we're going to answer why and how we anchor technology. So God, I just thank you today for this opportunity. God, I pray that you would just um, be with me, God, that you would... um Give me clarity of mind, God. I, I feel a lot of opinions about this topic, but today, God, I really want to just speak from what I believe are principles in your word. So I pray that today you just help me, God, to clearly communicate. God, I pray for people today that maybe feel condemned or addicted to something when it comes to technology, God, or they're living their life based on others' opinions because of social media. I pray that they'd be delivered from it today. God, I pray for those who have not seriously considered, God, they have young children that they haven't put protection on their devices. God, they don't have protection in their own life. God, I pray that today would be a warning, God, for them to anchor technology to you, God, before a terrible storm can take place. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Whether we like to admit it or not, technology has progressed at an extremely fast rate. This week I was thinking about, like, I have iPhone number 12. Uh, It's like my third iPhone. Did I say that weird? Is that why I got laughed? Uh, Whatever, babe. It's fine. It's fine not as cool as you. Anyway, um, it's iPhone 12. I have the iPhone 12, and like I was thinking about like how fast like smartphones um, have progressed. I remember my dad like originally having like a stupid, I think it was Nokia, like brick phone, and like you could pop the covers off, right? Is that a thing? And like there was like the snake game on it, and like that was so cool to me. But like T- cell phones are way cooler now right like you're like dude you can't pop the cover off you have cool cases like it's actually touch screen you don't have to hit stupid little buttons like water buttons those are totally last week anyway uh, when it comes to these phones though, I was looking at how fast they progressed and actually 20 years ago so 2001 was the first time ever that cell phones could connect to the internet so 20 years ago, just 20 years ago. Um, and then in 2007, Steve Jobs came out with this smartphone that took the world by storm called the iPhone, right? 2008, Android's always behind. No, I'm just kidding. They've actually started to surpass in some ways, but it's fine. Android came out with a smartphone in 2008, and like the rest is history. Now, like I was looking this week, like 80 plus percent of Americans own a smartphone. If you own a smartphone, raise your hand. A lot of people own smartphones. We love smartphones. They're awesome. It's now said that the technology in your smartphone is actually um, – more technology than what it took to get Apollo 11 to the moon in 1969. And they say that this technology in like your back— I don't know where my phone's at. It's down there. Um, in, in, your, in, your, in your small device is more than that. And that's crazy to me. And this is like a huge blessing. Like how many people love having a smartphone, right? It's like, it's absolutely amazing. But what's interesting is now the hot topic of technology is not necessarily the question, are we able to make this happen? The question is now, what are the effects now that we have made this happen? right? For a while there, was like, dude, can we do this? Can we do this? It was like reaching for one goal, and we're still doing it, but now it's going, uh, what was, what are the effects of our decision? Like, are they, are they okay? Are they bad? Like, how's it affecting humanity? One article I read this week, and this was much broader than my sense of knowledge. This guy was talking about, like, just crazy, crazy feats of technology, but he made this statement. I was like, this is so, so applicable. He said, the great danger of our time, is that the quest for technology hasn't been matched by a moral and psychological awareness of our limits. Just think about that. The quest for technology has not been matched by a moral and psychological awareness of our limits. Morals meaning what is right and what is wrong. Psychological meaning the mental and emotional state of humanity. Meaning we were so caught in asking the question, can we make this happen? We didn't stop to ask, is it right or what? Is it wrong? And how is it going to affect us emotionally? I typed in on Google this week, dangers of technology, 97 million results popped up. Negative effects on technology, nine subtle ways technology is making humanity worse, the future of well-being in a tech-saturated world. People are now starting to ask the question, what, what's, what's the effect of this? Is, this? is this hurting me? I know a lot of people are going, how do I distract my kid during COVID unless I give them a device? And you're going, I don't know how this is going to affect, but I have no other choice. And so today, I want to just bring our attention to the fact of technology, because whether we like to admit it or not, technology is neither bad or good, it comes down to how we use it. That's what determines whether it's bad or good. See, we love the ease and convenience and fun and entertainment, but what are the limits? And so I just wrote a quick list, and then I'm going to give you just three quick points this morning, but I wrote a list um, of, of how technology is good and bad. And I just, it's nine different things, there's plenty more, but just to kind of get your minds thinking. Technology, it can keep you in close contact with your spouse or it can give you ways to cheat on your spouse. It can keep you up to date and in touch with friends from all over the world, but through comparison can make you discontent with your own life, causing you to miss out on what God has for you. It can help you manage your finances faster and easier than ever, right? I mean, we would not have survived as a church. Like, it would have been—we would have survived. It would have been really hard. Like, it would have been way less convenient had we not had online giving and text to give and these different things. Technology is amazing. But it can also get you in debt fast by desensitizing purchases. You're just clicking a button and giving access to, um, for you to purchase whatever you want, whenever you want. And you constantly can be looking at shopping apps, Right? It can make you aware and keep you up to date with what is going on in the world, but also at the same time give you more anxiety and worry than you've ever felt before. It can help you uh, make and keep friends, but also keep you from being in relationship with those right in front of you. It can help us have fun through entertainment, video games, movies, shows, music, sports. All these things can be fun and, and fill our time, but also it can fill our mind with so much garbage. And it can help fill our souls and teach us about God better than any generation has ever been able to learn about God before. But at the same time, it can leave your soul more empty and more hopeless. So what do we do? What do we do? And again, I said this is a very vast topic. So I'm going to give you three things that I think are honestly either storms we're in the middle of, storms we can prevent, and how we do this. And so each of my points is going to be a why and a how, and I'm not going to necessarily specify it super clearly. But each one's going to be why we anchor it and how we anchor it. So the first one this morning, say the first one is technology unguarded enables sexual immorality. Let's take that in. I know this is fancy words sometimes. I was trying to like make it simple, but I wanted to get the point across. Technology unguarded, unguarded enables sexual immorality. One of technology's greatest strengths is the fact that you have unrestricted access 24-7 to whatever you need, right? If you need to call someone, you can call someone. If you need a DIY project, you know, like, info, right? Like, you can look that up on YouTube, and you can fix a lot of things yourself, right? We can, we can, on a GPS, I've talked about this before, how, like, I would not survive without a GPS. Like, I don't know how you people did it before. Like, you pulled out a map and just prayed and expected the Holy Spirit to get you there? Like... I'm like, I don't know how you did that, but I mean, I need more faith, clearly. Anyway, if they ever take our GPS away, I will be in my my uh, vehicle just crying by myself. Um, but again, one of the, so that's one of the great benefits, but one of the extreme negatives is the fact that it also gives unrestricted access to sexual pleasure and sexual fulfillment whenever you want. And this is the danger. Like, we're recognizing this now, and I'm going to share some stats in a second about pornography, but like, We're living in a culture that is learning, like, dude, like, this unguarded is so dangerous. This unguarded is ridiculously dangerous. I've talked to my wife and multiple other people many times about how I am nervous or concerned. I trust God, but I feel overwhelmed with the idea of having to raise my kids in the culture we live in. And I'm not saying it's not been hard before. Like, some of you had to raise some really amazingly difficult kids. Shout out to my parents. Look at me now. Anyway. uh, (laughs) But, like, we're living in a culture with um, great, like, technological advancements, right? Like, that no one's ever faced before. And we're also living in a culture that has completely accepted and promoted explicit content, right? Like, once that one thing that, like, used to be, like, adult, right, adult version or, like, um, adult entertainment is now, like, shown on TV commercials. Like, in seventh grade, if I remember right, it was the sixth or seventh grade, I saw a TV commercial with very, like, not even that explicit content, and that caused me to then go on the computer and continue looking for pornography, and for years, I battled pornography for years, I struggled over it. Thankfully, I took heavy steps because of books I've read and stuff like this. And I went to um, my dad and I was like, dad, I'm struggling with this. And like, this wasn't like just a quick fix. Like we're talking like, I had to take my cell phone. I took off every app on the stupid thing. I had a smartphone. I couldn't even call it smart because I like, I couldn't like not find my way into something stupid. I was too tempted. And for a year, I didn't have anything on this. And luckily, like God's freed me from looking at pornography, but I'm still facing the effects of what I, what I taught my mind of how to view women, of how I taught myself to, to view temptation in this regard. And so whether we like it or not, our culture promotes and accepts sexual immorality, and technology has only exacerbated this. It's only made it harder. It's only made it more difficult. See, before some of you like had experiences. I didn't, but I've heard the stories like you had to go to a convenience store and you had to buy pornography, you had to go to a blockbuster, you had to rent the video. Like you had to show your face, tell them what you're looking for. There's like a sense of shame at least in that, right? Then you had to use it and you had to hide it. Now I can pull my phone up and with the swipe, get rid of the screen and no one knows what I was looking at. And that's what happens if it's unguarded. No wonder people are struggling with, with temptation like this. And that's why we need to anchor it. And the reason I said technology unguarded enables sexual immorality, the word enables means give authority or means to do something. In other words, technology is a vessel. And unguarded, that vessel can wander off on its own. 40 plus million Americans regularly visit porn sites. 40 plus million. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB. Like think about how much money is getting put in the Super Bowl today. Porn is making way more than not not only the NFL, but those other two major sport leagues. It's also more revenue than ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. 47% of families in the U.S., so almost half of the families, report that pornography is a problem in their home. Porn increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Eleven is the average age that a child is first exposed exposed to pornography. Ninety four percent of children will encounter um, pornography by age fourteen. Fifty six percent of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in porn. Sixty eight percent of church going men and over fifty percent of pastors view porn on a regular basis. See, if we don't anchor technology, we're giving room for failure. And I know the balance and struggle is like even having the conversation with your your son or daughter is like, and I've like already had to learn to try to be wiser as a youth pastor. I have to be careful how I talk about this subject so that I'm not encouraging someone to go investigate it, but also me not talking about it and me not being open about it is not helping either. So what's the balance? We find this push and pull of going, I wanna help, but I don't know how. And now, I mean, kids like, You're on YouTube and like something pops up and you have no control of it. Netflix, like there's just complete garbage all over the place. See, when we don't anchor technology, it's like me saying to you, I'm going to pay you um, $5 million if you take these coordinates, go to Lincoln City, you get a boat and you go five five miles off the coast of Lincoln City and I need you to... Turn the boat off. You're not allowed to use anchors and you can't um, use an oar and you need to stay in that same position for two hours. If you do that, I will give you $5 million. You would look at me and go, that's impossible. But this is what we're doing with, with technology. See, we recognize in the physical world, like things tend to drift. Like if I were to tell you to go on a, like on a, a hill and park your car, but not put it in park or not use the e-brake, like you know your car's going to roll down. Like we've made vehicles, we've made boats recognizing the physical realm of wandering and traveling without us desiring. Same thing with technology. Same thing with technology. You take technology unguarded and you're asking for wandering. So what's the answer? We need to put safeguards. Unguarded technology enables sexual purity, so actually add guards. 38,000 people every year in the U.S. die from car crashes. And if you think about it, we put so much money into transportation, protection for transportation. You think about the money put into roads, the lines, the, the um, what do you call those? The, the guardrails, what's the, rumble strips, right? Like, does anyone drive over those just for fun? Allie hates it, so just take, take her for a drive. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, I made it the whole street without coming off one. And she's like, I want to kill you. It's fine. Um, but, like, you think like all this, like, traffic control systems, like, right, like pedestrian, like, all, all these lines. Then you talk about cars. Nowadays, we're like backup cameras, sensors, self parking, um, control, like, assisting you so you don't run into someone, airbags, seat belts, all these different things. Then you talk about the legal standpoint. You have to get a license. You have to have registration. You need insurance. You have to go through six months of permit, all these different things, right? And we recognize the need for protection in, 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 in when it comes to vehicles, but we don't do the same thing when it comes to our souls. Scripture endorses extreme measures to guard against sexual immorality. I would say that one of the most extreme measures that's talked about in the Bible is in regards to sexual immorality. There's no wiggle room. Like at all. You do not find it anywhere. Ephesians 5, 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint or any kind of impurity. 1 Corinthians six eighteen, Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. Proverbs 5, 3, 5 through 8. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but does she she does not know it. Now, then, my sons, listen me, listen to me, and do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Don't even go near the door. And one of my favorite, and this is Jesus talking. In Matthew five twenty seven, he says, You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body going to hell. And I don't know if Jesus was like literally like, all right, give me a stick, like pop my eye out. No, like that's, I don't think that's what he's referring to. But he's talking about the extreme measures we should be taking to avoid this type of temptation. And again, technology unguarded is just waiting. It's opening the door for this. See, culture may have no rules for your technology, but you better make some. Get accountability, Pray for, um, pay for protection software, set codes on Netflix, these TV accounts, limit your access. I've heard every excuse in the book, I don't want to pay for this, I'm not struggling with it right now. Covenant Eyes app sucks, it does. You know how many times I'll like almost lose my salvation because the Covenant Eyes app will not load? And I'm like, stupid phone, okay? <laughs> like, if you're like not it's fine. Anyway, I just needed to vent that because seriously, it ticks me off people. I'm like, I would rather be tempted. No, I was kidding. Um, but this is like, people make these excuses. I'm not kidding. People like sit and they go, it's not a big deal right now. It's not a big deal. If your child does not have protection, like I don't want to shame you, but I, I was a teen boy, like 10, I mean, actually less than that, but like I was in this situation 10 plus years ago. And it did not matter. My parents had protection. I still knew how to do it. I still sought it out. You better figure out how to have a conversation, get accountability, and do the hard yards. See, you cannot put a price on protecting your soul. And again, technology, it's great, but our culture does not have any rules for it. We just wanted to make it happen. We've made it happen. Now we're trying to pick up the pieces. So that's the first point this morning. The second one is that technology tempts us to compare our lives to others' partial reality. Technology tempts us to compare our lives to others' partial reality. Again, one of technology's greatest strengths is the fact that you can keep in contact with someone whenever you want, like at all times, right? Like, you don't even have to live next to them. You can talk to them. You can see their face. You can have a face-to-face conversation over technology. COVID, we recognize the power of technology because we miss people so much, right? Right? But one of its greatest weaknesses is that it gives you unlimited access to see people's lives in action and to then feel depressed over your own life. In the early 2000s, this term fear of missing out, we know it as FOMO, how many people have heard of FOMO, entered the world and is forever labeled the age when social media entered the human race. FOMO, if you Google it, will pop up saying that ang- it means anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be currently happening else, um, happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media. And we can all pinpoint this, this feeling, right? Like, you see something and you go, like, dude, like, how are they doing that? Like, why can't I be doing that? Like, their kids look like they actually love them. My kids hate me. Like, we took five photos and my kids just wouldn't stop screaming. Like, like, how do they pay for this? Like, why can't I go on a cool vacation? Why does it look like they're always having fun and I'm not? How many people know what I'm talking about? See, next thing you know, you're dissatisfied, discontent, depressed, and even anxious that you're missing out, living wrong, and have not amounted to all that your life is supposed to be because you're comparing it to someone else. Here's the problem with this type of thinking, though, is it's only partial reality that you're seeing. See, and you guys are like gonna laugh at this, but the fact that like, people only post the best versions of themselves. Like some chicks are taking a hundred photos of themselves, like in five different outfits with eight smiley faces. Like they're trying like the duck lip thing. They're trying to be serious. Then they crop edit and then they're like, nah, I gotta restart. And then like, right? And they do all this to then post one photo. How many people have spent like at least five minutes or more trying to figure out what you're gonna say on a social media post? Raise your hands, be honest. You're lying, I I know you are. See, when we look at social media, we're only seeing partial reality. The word reality means the state of things as they actually exist. See, social media, people are choosing to only show part of their existence. And if we make them the standard, we're comparing our lives unfairly. We're evaluating our lives unfairly. Stephen Furtick has been um, coined for this. Even Forbes quoted him saying, um, when we look at social media, we're comparing our behind-the-scenes with other people's highlight reels. And this type of thinking can make you feel down and can make you settle for less than best when it comes to what God wants for your life. Eugene Peterson, I read this um, during the fast. Like, I didn't even read the whole book. I, like, read one chapter, and this, this quote stuck with me. I've, I've reminded myself of it multiple times. He wrote this book, I think, first in, like, 86, if I remember right, when I looked it up this week. But Eugene Peterson said this. Fan clubs, and I'm going to put social media there because... Like social media wasn't even a thing back then. Fan clubs encourage secondhand living. So, social media encourages secondhand living. Through pictures and memorabilia, autographs, and tourist visits, we associate with someone whose life is, we think, more exciting and glamorous than our own. We find diversion from our own humdrum existence by riding on the coattails of someone exotic. We do it because we are convinced that we are plain and we are ordinary. The town or the city that we live in, the neighborhood we grew up in, the friends we are stuck with, the families or marriages that we have, all seem undramatic. We see no way to be significant in such settings with such, associ- with such associations, so we surround ourselves with evidence of someone who is. We stock our fantasies with images of a person who is living more adventurously than we are. How many people are like Eugene Peterson just described how I feel a lot of times when it comes to social media? Anyone want to be bold enough? I literally, last fall, and I'm still struggling with it, I had to go. I like follow, this is like embarrassing to say, and I can see the the benefit in it. So I'm not going to like completely knock myself. But I was following more churches and famous celebrity pastors than I was following people I actually knew. And part of the reason I'll defend myself is because I like the fresh ideas. I want to see what they're preaching about. I want to see how they're doing church. I want to see these things. But I felt like I started chasing after what they were doing more than what God was actually asking me to do. And it was like, I had to go and I unfollowed all of them. And I still, like, I think I follow, like, I open myself up to following one pastor now. And I, I will be honest, I still go search and look at what they're doing. And I have to sometimes remind myself to stop. I have, to, like, I'm not, I have not conquered it. And for me, I started looking at my own humdrum existence as, as um, Eugene Peterson would say. And I recognize, Trenton, you're settling for less than you best. You're, you're, you're depressed over what God has for you in your life. And it's sad, but many people live this way. Rather than seeking God's direction and will for our life, we try to replicate someone else's. Rather than seeking God's approval, we do everything looking for the approval of others. So what's the answer? I wrote this statement on a slide because I want you to write it down. You were made in God's image, so look to his image, not the images of others for the standard you live by. You were made in God's image, so do not look to the images of others for the standards that you live by. How do we do this? One, we remember the undeniable fact that God created you uniquely you. It's all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. He created you. He ordained your life. He purposed you. I mean, time and time again, Jeremiah, the call of Jeremiah, he echoes what God says to all of us. Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. David in Psalm 139, I mean, you're talking years before the understanding of life, life's existence. He said, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days of my life were ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ephesians 2.10, Paul backs this up in the New Testament. God, You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which um, he prepared in advance for us to do. If you're so focused on trying to replicate someone else's good works, you're missing out on the good works God created you to, to do yourself. And so technology, again, unguarded or tempting, like we have to figure out to remind ourselves this, like we have to put set limits of who we're following, why we're following, how much we're, we're gawking after who they are. And the other way we do this is we purpose to live for the audience of one. We only care about God's approval. Last week I was reminding myself um, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians, and I can only like picture Paul reading this like with some sass, but he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. The Lord is who judges me. Like, Paul didn't even take time to, like, evaluate himself in a negative way because he knew that God judged him. He didn't have time to overthink. He only had time to focus on what God called him to do. And it reminds me of a story in John chapter 21. I don't have time to read it, but it's at the end of John's account of of Jesus' life, and it, it highlights Jesus talking to Peter and going, Peter, I'm calling you to do this. Next thing you know, it's John actually writing the book. John mentions that he was following behind Peter, um, during this conversation, and Peter turns around and asks Jesus, like, after God's just told Peter what he's supposed to do, and he goes, but what about this guy? And, and Jesus said, why does it matter what, what, what like, his life is about? Like, it's, it's in my control. Just follow me. And sometimes we just need to tell ourselves that. Yeah, you don't have the same, the same financial blessings. You don't have the same house, whatever. Like, it's, it's not up to you. Just follow God. Just be focused on God. Be focused on what he's called you to do, the gifts he's called you to use, the family he's called you to raise, the marriage he's called you to steward. And the final thing today that we need to anchor, why we need to anchor and how we need to anchor is that technology is constantly feeding us. So again, the first one was that technology unguarded enables sexual purity, impurity, Right? Um, technology. Got to remember this one's too wordy. Te- technology tempts us to compare our lives with others' partial reality, and finally, technology is constantly feeding us. One of like the greatest, like honestly, probably the greatest benefit of technology. I mean, other than probably relationships, is the fact that you have unending, unlimited content to study. I mean, like, I've been um, considering over this last little bit of time going back to school and getting some higher education, and, like, it just isn't wise in the season. The motives I'm doing it for aren't the wisest. But, like, if you go on YouTube, you can take master's classes for free. Like, there's so much content. If you were to actually sit down and take it in, the amount of books you can have stored on your Kindle device, like, on your phone, the Kindle app the amount of sermons you can watch, the amount of self-help, the amount of things that you can ingest into your life that that can help you, it's unlimited. But at the same time, there's probably more garbage out there to ingest. And a lot of us don't censor or guard or or recognize what we're ingesting, we just ingest, right, constantly. And we've all heard the statement, what you eat is what you are like or what you become, right? You are what you eat. Said that like three different ways. But in other words, what, what it was talking about is, like, physically or, like, metaphorically, what you eat is where, where, where you become. And what I want you to recognize is technology, and this probably won't change unless, again, like, you just get rid of technology and decide to not live um, like a normal human, I guess. Like, technology is so much it's almost necessary to live. But technology is the number one vessel that feeds us. Americans on average spend 10 hours and 39 minutes on their screens every day. And I know that has to do with work and everything like that, but that's almost 11 hours. Americans on average spend 5.4 of those hours on their phones daily. 5.4, five and a half hours. If someone sleeps eight hours a night, like we're supposed to, right? Eight to 10 hours, that, that means they're awake for 16, roughly 16 hours in a day meaning that 60%, I did the math, hopefully it's right. It wasn't that complicated, but you never know. Meaning 60% of the time you're awake is spent on the screen. 60% of your time is spent on a screen. 33% is spent on your phone. So the question is not, are you ingesting? It's what are you ingesting, right? You are ingesting something. And it's, it's what Paul wrote in Galatians 6, and he said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What you sow you reap. What a man reaps is what he sows. See, God created this law of of reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping, right? There's this principle in our life, good or bad, we reap what we sow. Same thing with technology. Like, God cannot be mocked. I read that as, like, God's rule cannot be broken. Like, you can't ask God to twist the rule for you. You have to recognize the rule set in place. So, yes, God's gracious. Yes, God's good. But what you sow, you reap. And so the question is, what are we reaping? Because it's a sure sign of what we're sowing. Are you worried? What are you ingesting? Too much news? Are you angry? What are you, what are you putting in your life? What are you observing? Are you tempted? Stop putting yourself in a situation to be tempted. Are you stressed? Are you wasting time on social media than actually doing your work? Sometimes I think we waste time and we're like, I just feel so overwhelmed. Well, stop wasting time. Do you feel far from God. What are you ingesting? Are you lazy? Are you rude? Do you lack character, integrity? Are you cursing? Parents, what are you reaping from your kids? I have observed parents letting their kids watch shows that highlight disrespect and swearing and so much garbage, and then you wonder why your kid does not respect you and puts up fights all the time. You're letting them, you're letting them ingest something that they should not be ingesting. And so we have to come down to again, God can do more in your life than you can ever imagine, but He also did not make you stupid. He gave you a free will to choose. And so we need to anchor technology to God, but how? First, you need to determine what you want to become. What is your greatest desire? Are you someone who wants to be worried all the time? Are you someone who wants to be so dissatisfied with your life you miss out on actually living it? Decide what you want to become. Next, you need to construct the right diet to reach the goal. Evaluate, are you inputting more garbage than you are good? Like you want to be closer to God, then stop like binge watching Netflix from when you get home until you go to sleep. You want to be closer to God, then then listen to better music. Like so much music, like whether you're actually listening to the words or you care about the words, that crap is going in your head and it's storing in your brain somewhere. So we have to decide, what's the right diet? What do we want to listen to? And finally, you need to manage the diet. And I know that I looked it up this week, but I know that Androids and I have an iPhone and even like my, I think my Mac now has it, but also my iPad. All those have screen screen time management. I can see what I'm spending my time on. They break it down like per app, per thing you do, per category, right? Right? Like it, it will tell you exactly what you're doing with that time. You can actually set limits to make your phone shut off an app so you're not on it too much. I had to do that for a season of my life with Instagram because I was literally spending so much time on it. And again, today, I'm not wanting to condemn, and I don't think there's necessarily a complete right or wrong. If you're breaking just like simple rules like impurity, yes, right or wrong. But at the end of the day, it comes down to your conviction and what you feel like God's calling you to. And God's always calling you to what's his best. And so I want to pray for you today, but I want to just really quickly, I've read a lot of Scripture, but it's better to bank it in Scripture, right, than just say it. So I want to read one more passage of Scripture, and I was actually going to read this at the beginning of the message, and I deleted it out of my message, and I was like, no, i got to end with this. Paul writes this letter to um, the church in Corinth, and uh, I don't have time to explain all this, but I actually did all the research to explain it, but Corinth essentially is located in this prime real estate um, between central Greece and the Peloponnese of, of bottom Greece, like which is a peninsula, right? There's water all the way around it, and there's only four to eight miles between on this land bridge that connects the two. This in Paul's day made like Corinth a huge diverse culture. And so Paul's writing to this church, and in, this, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, he's confronting sexual immorality, he's confronting diversity, he's talking about food sacrifice to idols. Paul is laying it out there for them, and he gives what I believe are principles. He's not even, he's talking to the topics, but I believe he gives principles that apply to our use of anything in life. And I want to just read from three different chapters, like it's only a couple verses, but I just jumped around. So 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I have the right to do anything, this is what he was saying, the Corinthians were saying, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The the Corinthian church was saying, dude, like sex is made for the body. I can have sex. He's like, sure, but are you doing it like in a beneficial way? Is it going against your morals? Is it going against these things? Skipping to chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Then he talks about himself. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly I put safeguards in place. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my own body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified for myself. And then he skips to chapter 10. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is constructive. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's all my challenges today. I laid out a ton of principles. You can take them or leave them. Some of it was my opinion. Some of it's founded on the word of God. But at the end of the day, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so I'm going to ask for the lights to be dim today. I just want to ask you to stand to your feet. And I, I honestly, I don't want to cause condemnation if you're struggling with pornography. I've been there. It has dominated years of my life. And you can't get over it because I have won over that battle thanks to Jesus. That's an amazing thing. So you can do that. You don't need to feel condemned about it. Parents, if, you, if you're taking in information that you have not used before, this is not condemnation. Take this as a warning. Now you know it. Now do something about it. You don't have to be perfect. God knows you're not perfect. He can make up. If you're someone who struggles with social media and comparing your life, stop doing it. Start to ask God, God, I want to do something amazing with my life. And I'm not going to compare it to what other people are doing. I want to see you do something special in my life. And when it comes to feeding yourself, recognize the results you're getting are because of how you're feeding yourself. And so I want to just ask everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes. And if today you say, "Trent, I'm feeling condemned over one of these categories, impurity or comparison or just the garbage I eat or something else even, I want you to raise your hand. I want to just pray with you today. So if anyone today, thank you. Thank you. And i also want to put the caveat out there i am not god and i'm not a counselor but if you need to talk to someone safe i will not spew your crap to other people i would love to pray with you today after service over one of these things and i would love to also talk you through how you're how you're assessing because i'm not perfect at it but i have tried a lot of things and i'm thankful my parents set a standard for my life that i've continued today and so i just want to pray for each one of you that raised your hand so god i just thank you today for each person god that's recognizing god I made mistakes, God. Maybe it's impurity, God. Maybe I've compared my life too much. Maybe I'm just taking in so much trash, God, and my soul feels depleted and I feel weary. God, I pray right now I come against condemnation. God, I come against strongholds, God, and principalities of technology in our life, God, that may be destroying a marriage, maybe destroying a relationship, maybe destroying our frame of mind, God. And today, I put it into submission in the name of Jesus to the King above all other kings, God, to the King that died on the cross for our sins, God. He rose from the grave so we could have life and liberty, God, in the life that we live here on earth. God, so right now, God, I just pray, God, for each person, God, I come against condemnation, God, I take this hand raised as a sign of confession, God, please forgive me, and I encourage each one of you that raise your hand, if you're online, say, God, forgive me, God, I give this to you, I'm sorry, God, I want to be better, God, and, and with that, God, it's wiped away, there is no condemnation, God, and I just thank you. I thank you for the gift that you've given us, God, in the 21st century. God, I thank you that you've put us in this time and era to live. God, I pray that as Christians, God, we would use technology to promote the name of Jesus to every area we can. God, but I pray that we would with it recognize the responsibility, God, and live as adequate stewards of Jesus in our hearts. God, that we would not be mastered by anything, God. We would not, we would not, um, we would not feed ourselves with the unbeneficial. God, and I just thank you for it today. I just thank you for it today. God, I pray over the young people in this room. God, I pray over the parents of the young people in this room. God, I pray for wisdom. God, I pray for protection. God, I pray for um, accountability. God, to help them. God, I pray that you would have your way in these students' lives. God, if there's kids already addicted God I pray for forgiveness and freedom in the name of Jesus God I pray that you would give them the boldness to confess and bring it into the light because there is no shame there is no condemnation God so I just I just pray this God I speak life God and I just thank you for it God, I pray that your spirit would make up where I lack today, God, that again, you would lead each heart, God, where I made mistakes and what I communicated or if I overtalk, God, I pray that right now, God, your Holy Spirit, God, would deliver the principles as clear as day. God, that it would come into our hearts, God. God, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. I love you, church. I want to just encourage you again. Speed the light egg money. I'm like asking for your money now. This is a good cause, and you also get to see eggs smashed on my head and PK's at head. Also, if we get to three thousand, we're smashing them on Pastor Rhonda. So that's that's worth it. Anyway, I want to encourage you to register for church in the coming weeks. And I again, if this is something one of these rang true, or if it's something else, and you feel like you need to talk to someone, I'm an available source. Um, our our board is an available source. If you need someone to talk to, come grab me. Um, again, like Pastor Kevin will be. Back next week, Pastor Sasser, and and we would all love to have these conversations. I never want anyone to feel like they're on their own. I want people to to be able to find life and liberty and through that relationship. Amen? Amen. So we'll see you in the weeks to come. We love you. Take care. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this thank you for joining us and have a blessed day